0: because that also really misses the mark on what this story is about. This story is so much more than both of those things, and it has been misunderstood for a really long time and mispreached from pulpits. Today, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and maybe you recognize what that is already. Um, If you don't, it's the story of David and Goliath. So, I just want to preface this with, just because it's the story of David and Goliath, don't shut your ears off. because I know in if I was in your position, right, when I go to church and the pastor is speaking about David and Goliath, my natural inclination is I've heard this story before. I already know what you're going to say. Now, why I think I know that is important. Anybody here a 90s kid grew up in the 90s? All right. So you'll really understand what I'm talking about. Now, because I am a 90s kid. Now, I grew up without ever being in the church. I didn't get saved until I was about 16 years old. Uh, so I grew up with not going to church. We didn't have a Bible in my house. I didn't hear any Bible stories. Uh, I had zero understanding of what was in this book. Um, except the only story that I had any understanding of and had any clue that it was from the Bible was the story of David and Goliath. And that's because as a 90s kid, there was this one show on PBS called Wishbone. And, uh, and they portrayed the story of David and Goliath. And they put the dog, Wishbone, to play David, really hyping up the underdog themes <laughs> of David and Goliath. And, and it had been such a part of the cultural zeitgeist that I sort of just thought I understood the story of David and Goliath. Well, what I'm going to tell you tonight, or today, wow, that's the first time I've done that in a church. And it's because our church meets at night now. What I'm going to tell you today is not the underdog story. While that theme might be present in there, it has nothing to do with what the story is actually about. This won't be a story or a motivational speech about how, you can take on the giants in your life and conquer them by having the faith like David because that also really misses the mark on what this story is about. This story is so much more than both of those things and it has been misunderstood for a really long time and mispreached from pulpits for an extremely long time in the church. David... Is the predecessor of Jesus. David, the Messiah, is called the son of David. David himself, he wrote 75 Psalms. Most of 1st and 2nd Samuel is about David. Much of 1st Chronicles is about David. David takes up more real estate biblically than any character other than Jesus. Because David's life points to Jesus. So what we're going to see today is something that maybe you might have missed. And it might be a little bit different than what you thought you were getting into when you heard the story of David and Goliath. So bear with me and buckle up because it's going to be a fun ride. We're going through the whole chapter. And we're going to mention other stuff too. So, I promise I'll have you out of here by dinner. Also, up here, uh, because we're talking about the story of David and Goliath, part of the reason why I wanted to be up here is to give you an insight into Goliath. Why there is this sort of underdog statement. Because according to the biblical description of Goliath, me up here is shorter than Goliath would be. Now, me down there is about the size of David. David just if I was significantly more physically fit. But me up here does not equal the size of David. So think that in your head as we go through the story. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes-Demim, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encapped in the valley of Elah and drew up in the battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. Now that picture is pretty clear. You have the Philistine army, you have the Israelite army on a mountain and the valley and the battlefield is in the middle. And nobody wants to go to the battlefield because one of the just best procedures in war is to maintain the high ground. It's silly to go into the valley, and so both armies are sitting there on the high ground refusing to cede it. So that's the picture. Now a champion from the Philistines went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose weight was six cubits and a span. Now, anytime you see the word cubit, think of it in terms of feet, but think of it as one and a half feet. So, if he is six cubits, he would be about nine feet, because it's 1.5 times whatever that is. So, a guy about nine feet tall, he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff on a spear, like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and, his, and a shield-bearer went out before him. What a terrible job. I mean, is, your, is Goliath is being described, this guy's nine feet tall, he's carrying tons of weight in just armor, and now you have to carry a nine-foot guy's shield? That's like watching a toddler try to carry a gallon of milk, Right? When it's bigger than them. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said, Why have you come out to the line up for the battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Now, this gives you some really interesting insight into what's happening. See, Goliath comes out and he's willing to go into the valley. Because I'll face anybody. Of course, he would. He's huge. And he's a skilled warrior. And, clearly, he's never lost because he's alive. So his record is untarnished. He's the Floyd Mayweather of warriors. Maybe that's a bad analogy if you know anything about boxing because Floyd Mayweather just plays defense. But anyway. Regardless, he, he was undefeated. But... He says, choose a man for yourself. But then he says, are you not the servants of Saul? Now, this gives you some interesting insight into the understanding of the mind, right? He is looking at the Israel as the servants of Saul. Remember that as we go further into the story. Servants of Saul. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants, But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. Now we have the stakes. All right, so the battle against Goliath represents very clearly one of two things. If you win, freedom. But if you fail against the fight against Goliath, who looks to be just way bigger than you can possibly comprehend on your own, then that battle represents for you, death, and for the nation, servanthood, bondage. That is what Goliath represents in the story. It is either freedom through victory, or if you fail, failing against him represents death and bondage and servanthood, and specifically serving a pagan nation, false worship. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So the reaction of the army is, no, thank you. We're going to cower behind our shields because not a single one of us thinks we can take on Goliath. Now, the interesting thing about this is who else is not doing anything? King Saul. Now, Saul, up to this point, was loved by the people. Up to this point, Saul, they were happy with the choice of Saul to be their king, because Saul represented physically everything they were looking for in the king. When Saul was Anointed as king over Israel, it was even pointed out biblically that Saul was a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Saul represented the big man on campus. So if anybody would have had the guts to face him, should have been Saul. He's there, but he's not doing anything. Just like everybody else, he's afraid because he understands the stakes. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah. That's just by the way, that being mentioned, that's why Jesus had was born in Bethlehem when the taxes when you had to be registered for taxes in your hometown. Jesus comes from the lineage of David, so he had to go to Bethlehem Ephrathah fulfilling Micah 5:2. But that's outside of our story today, but just it's in there. Whose name was Jesse? So, David, the son of Jesse, from Bethlehem, Judah, and who had eight sons. The man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The name of his three sons who went to the battle uh, were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. David occasionally went and returned from Saul, To feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Uh, If I were you, I'd underline that because this is important. David is coming from a shepherd's field to the battlefield, and he's going to feed his older brothers. He's sent there by his father to do this. So, a shepherd is sent from his father to feed his brothers to the battlefield. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. And Jesse said to his son David, Now take for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. Carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare. Bring back the news of them. Now Saul uh, and they uh, and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Well, they weren't really fighting; they were, you know, shouting back and forth across the valley. But for 40 days, nothing's happened. Jesse's worried about his sons, and he sends David out to go feed them and find out what's going on. So David goes early in the morning, and he leaves. He left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him, and came to the camp as the army was going out to fight. Uh, and shouting for the battle. That's really what they were doing. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. So David gets there and he goes and he, he looks for his brothers. He can't wait to see them, find out what's going on. He leaves his supplies. But as he talked with them, verse 23, there was the champion, the Philistine from Gath, Goliath, Those two things are really important, Gath and Goliath. By name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. So David, trying to get caught up on what's going on, what he sees when he gets to the battlefield is no fighting. He just sees people dressed in battle armor. And he goes to talk to his brothers. As he's talking to his brothers, this big giant comes out into the battlefield and starts shouting the same things, calling them the servants of Saul, telling them that he defies the armies of Israel, telling them that if someone would just come fight him, we could end this and figure out what the next step is. And here are the stakes. Death, freedom, which are you going to get? Come and fight me. That's what David hears. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. This is the other thing David sees. This guy comes out, says all of these things, and everybody runs in their tent. David witnesses this. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Now, that's the part as now an adult, when I read that, I go, why didn't anybody do this? Because if you don't have to pay taxes forever, that's a sweet deal. And you get that either way, right? If you lose, you don't have to pay taxes anymore because you're dead. And if you win, you're wealthy, and you don't have to pay taxes. You win the lottery, with no taxes. That's like, that's a good deal. But everyone's so afraid of Goliath. David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? It says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now you see the shift. Well, Philistine, Goliath came out and he called them the servants of Saul. He called them the armies of Israel. David's response is, who is this guy to defy the army of God? And the picture becomes clearer. The people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So now his brother is projecting on David his own fear. And he's angry at David for inquiring what's going on. And he calls David prideful. He says, You just want to see battle. What are you doing here? And then he, even though David is a shepherd listening to the voice of his father and doing what his father has asked him to do, he accuses him of leaving the sheep behind. And David said, What have I done now? It's a good question because the answer is nothing. Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words of David spoke, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. So David goes before Saul after hearing the report and hearing what Goliath has said, and he says to Saul, don't worry, I'll fight him. This is where we've gotten really messed up in understanding this story. Because we have preached from the pulpit over and over again about fighting your battles and fighting your Goliaths, fighting your giants. Here's the problem. This isn't David's giant. David wasn't even in the army. David was not there for 40 days as Goliath was screaming at the army. This is not David's giant. This is Israel's giant. David had no personal connection with Goliath. He heard him speak once. David is not fighting his battle. He's fighting God's people's battle. He is fighting the chosen people's battle, not his. It's not his giant. It's God's chosen people's giant. And that helps us understand the rest of this story significantly better. David said, I will fight the Philistine. But Saul says, you're not able to go against him. You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you're a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Now, regardless of this story, that's like an episode of a TV series that I wanna see. He fought a bear. I don't know if any of you have seen a bear in person or know what they can do. They can run at 40 miles an hour. They catch fish out of a stream so they're not afraid of water. They can also climb trees. There's no getting away from a bear. I personally think bears are maybe the scariest animal. Now, odd story, kind of related to this. I have a friend who uh, he went hiking by himself out in I can't remember where it was. I think it was in Virginia, out in the mountains of Virginia. And he tells this story much better than I do. But he got confronted with a bear, and so the first thing he thought to do was to pull out his phone, and record a goodbye message, because he thought, at least my last words will be recorded if uh, if the bear gets me. But then he, from his wilderness training, he did everything he could to make himself look as big as possible and run. He ran towards the bear which seems maybe like the dumbest thing he's ever done. But thankfully it worked, and the bear went off the path. Uh, And then you can hear in the recording just his heavy breathing because of the very nature of he was terrified because he knew his life was at risk in that moment. Uh, Because he wasn't sure where he was. He wasn't sure if it was a mother near her den with her cubs, and he was now on the menu for coming too close to her cubs. Right, he didn't know what was going on. But David, much more bravely than my buddy, says, a bear took a lamb out of the flock. I went, took the lamb out of its mouth and then killed it with my bare hands. Um, so that's a pretty good resume for someone who wants to take on a giant. Because a bear is pr- you know, pretty equivalent But regardless, Saul says this, your servant has, or David continues, said your servant has killed both lion and bear. We didn't even get an alliance. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Again, David points this out. He's defying the armies of God because Israel is God's chosen people. This isn't the army of Saul. And David has the right perspective when no one else does. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now, I understand. This might seem like an odd moment, but when your resume contains killing a lion and a bear... Okay, go for it, David. But Saul does this. So Saul clothed David and his, uh, with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. This moment in the story makes what picture was becoming clear, crystal clear. Because in just the previous chapter of 1 Samuel, David was anointed the next king of Israel by Samuel. David hasn't forced the issue in taken Saul's throne, but David is the rightful king to the throne according to God. He's already been anointed king. And Saul places his armor, the glory of the king, onto David. He gives him the king's armor, the king's sword, the king's chainmail. That stuff rightfully belonged to David, according to God. But David doesn't take it because he waits for the appointed time for him to take his throne. Instead, what does David do? David takes off. The glory of the king. He takes off the armor of the king, the helmet, the torso, the chainmail, the sword. He takes off that which represents the glory of the king to go enter the battle as a shepherd. That is the gospel. Jesus left the glory of heaven and even on the night before the crucifixion, he prayed to his father to restore the glory he had with God before the foundations of the earth, to put back on the glory that was rightfully his. But in the moment, in, at the cross, at the crucifixion, Jesus takes the role of a shepherd. In John chapter 10, He even says this multiple times. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. In that parable, Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep gate, to the sheep pen. You only enter through me. And in biblical times, in the countryside where shepherds were out in the rural areas, the shepherd literally was the door to the sheep pen. At night, they would lay down, in front of the enclosure, and the only opening was where the shepherd laid. And so the sheep could only get in or out through the shepherd, and he laid there protecting his sheep in the pen from the wolves that would try to enter to kill the sheep. And so he's effectively putting his life on the line for the sheep at night. And David takes off the glory of the king, humiliates himself, even though he's already anointed king, and enters this battle as a shepherd. And this battle, Goliath has already told us, represents death and submission and servanthood to paganism, if you're not victorious. So then David took his staff, a shepherd's tool, in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag. Even there, in his shepherd's bag. These stones would have been about the size of a baseball. And he puts them in a pouch, in which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David... He disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine looks down at David in his shepherd's uniform, much smaller than him, and he barks out, he's offended that this is who you take to kill the giant. But he had no idea who he was talking to. He's talking to the rightful king of Israel. He just stripped himself from that glory. He's talking to the predecessor of the Messiah, the one who will really defeat death on the cross. He has no idea what he's getting into. He's only looking at the physical world. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now, I don't like Goliath that's a pretty good comeback for war. You know, you got to hand it to him where credit's due. That's That's a pretty mean thing to say. It reminds me of... So, Goliath in this moment, to me, is like Larry Bird. That might be confusing to you if you're not a basketball fan. But Larry Bird is legendarily known as the best trash talker in basketball... And the stories about him go like this. He would literally tell his competition what play they were running. And then tell them, I'm going to hit the three over you, and there's nothing you can do about it. And then he would do it. So in this moment, Goliath looks like Larry Bird, except he doesn't have the follow through. So then David said to the Philistine, You come at me with sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, of the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So David's response is, okay, you can say whatever you want to me, but I'm coming in the name of God, so the the birds of the air, they're going to be eating your flesh. And so he just beat Larry Bird at his own trash talk. He became Reggie Miller. If you don't know anything about Reggie Miller, his famous moment is when he does this, because he makes fun of Spike Lee, saying that the Knicks are going to choke in front of him, and then he hits a game winner. Not important but I like basketball. Then he took his staff from his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong part. Curse David by his gods. Uh, he'd come at me with sword. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you. I will take your head. The carcasses will come from the camp of the Philistines, the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth that in all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, here's the important part. Not only is he saying that he comes to him in the name of God, but this will be a moment where the world remembers that there is a God. And so all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. So David again looks at danger, and he faces it head on, and he heads for it. And David put in his hand, uh, put his hand in his bag, and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead. And he fell on his face to the earth. So these stones, by the way, if you were accurate with them, you could get them moving about 100 miles an hour, 100 to 110 miles an hour. And they're about the size of a baseball. Um, So now you know why Major League Baseball requires you to wear a helmet. Because David killed Goliath by sinking the stone directly into his forehead. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out from its sheath and killed him and cut his head off his head with it. So, you know, nice and graphic. It's a good bedtime story for your kids. Um, Highly recommended. He takes Goliath's own sword, which was bigger than David, cuts his head off with it, and now something really interesting happens. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Why? Because victory meant freedom. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shuram, even as far as Gath and Akron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. And now verse 54. You might not have ever thought how important this was, but this is a highlighter one for sure. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. So this verse tells us what happened. After the battle, David walked all the way to Jerusalem with the head of Goliath and stored it in Jerusalem. Now at this time, Israel doesn't own Jerusalem. The Jebusites live in Jerusalem. So this is just north of Jerusalem outside the Jebusite camp. As a reminder of what's coming for them. Because not that much longer down the road, after David does become king, one of his significant victories is taking Jerusalem from the Jebusites. And they had that fear the whole time because David stuck Goliath's head there just north of Jerusalem outside the Jebusite camp. Well, you know what else is just north of Jerusalem outside the Jebusite camp? Much later in history. A place called Golgotha happens to be the place of the crucifixion. It's called Golgotha because it's called, it means, the place of the skull. What skull? Well, what else does Golgotha sound like? Goliath of Gath. The foreshadowing here in Scripture of what it means to defeat death and bring life instead is very clear. And it came from the anointed king who took off the glory of the king and entered the battle as a shepherd to defeat death. And that's what happened with David. And now we backtrack because sometimes in the story things aren't linear. Things aren't chronological. We go back to when the battle began. And when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, Is your soul lives, O king? I don't know. And the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And he answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And so the story of David and Goliath ends chronologically with the head being stored at Golgotha. It ends from a narrative standpoint with David saying, I'm the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. Both of those things point to Jesus. They point to To the cross and to his birth. And so the story of David and Goliath is much bigger than the cultural zeitgeist ever let us know. It's a foreshadowing and a picture of something way better. It's not the giants that we face of anxiety or addiction or depression, it's not what Goliath represents. Goliath represents the ultimate giant, the one that we cannot deal with on our own. Death. And being in bondage to sin. To false worship. We can't deal with it on our own. We're not David in the story. We're the army of Israel, most of us. Most of us are the army in Israel recognizing that that thing We can't conquer. Sin and death is something we have no power over. Some of us might have made it to the place of King Saul. Maybe some of us are CEOs or independently wealthy or are business owners and think that we have a whole lot of control. And Saul had a lot of control. He had an entire army at his disposal. He had all the wealth of Israel. But there's one thing he looked out at he didn't have power over sin and death. And who could take care of it? Not someone whose battle it was. The victory came from outside of the Israelite army. The the victory came from outside God's army. The victory came from the good shepherd. And that story is ultimately fulfilled when the good shepherd the son of David, conquers death and sin on the cross. So this is the gospel, not so hidden about a thousand years before the cross. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you. Thank you for shouting at us from the rooftops through all of scripture that you have a plan. And your plan is to take care of the thing we can't deal with. We are separated from you because of our sin. And the only reconciliation is found in the good shepherd. Help us submit to him, to look to the cross, to repent from sin and lay them down at the foot of the cross, at the good shepherd so that we can be clothed with his righteousness, that we can be found innocent in your eyes because of Jesus. And don't just help us do that, but help us spread that word to a world who needs it. In Jesus' name, amen.